Hello, and uh, Sid, I'm so glad to be speaking with you. I'm Sharon Weil, uh, author of the book Changeability, How Artists, Activists, and Awakeners Navigate Change. Um, and so to introduce myself a little bit, so, you know, we're, we're going to, because of your book, Raising Healthy Parents, um, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, parenting, I assume, and about change and how to bring about change in one's life in that arena of parenting. And so just to let you know that uh, I am a parent. Uh, my youngest daughter is um, just had her first year of college. She went off to Oberlin. We live in Los Angeles. And I have two older stepdaughters who are 28 and 30. So I've been in this parenting game for a little while. And uh, as an author, I uh, I've been working a lot with change and looking and interviewing people on a podcast called Passing for Normal, um, talking to different innovative change makers about how they approach change and, and how we can all benefit from learning from them. And that's that's what became the book Changeability. Um, I also have been a filmmaker, a screenwriter and a novelist as well. So that's my introduction. What about you, Sid? Um, okay, well, um, yeah, we're definitely going to have fun uh, today. But anyway, I'm the um, author of two books. One is called Approaching the Natural Health Manifesto, and the other one is called Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. And I'm a nutritionist and small steps coach, and I um, had, had a podcast for 222 episodes called The Approaching the Natural Co Podcast. I shut that down last December because uh, it was time. And then and then last month, well, actually a few weeks ago, launched a brand new podcast called What Sid Thinks. And that's uh, I just did my fourth episode yesterday. So that's um, back. I'm back in the game on that. And otherwise, um, a, a, a vlogger and just kind of talking about my small steps approach to um, basically helping people take control of their lives. Um, very much in line with um, sharing with your message of 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 changeability, the state of creation, and, and all these kinds of amazing um, ways to look at our ability to adapt and, and grow as as people. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Great. So where should we dive in? Gosh, I mean, there's so much to discuss. I mean, why don't, uh, what I liked about just a, a, initially about your, is where, cre is where create, so for me as a health coach, this is one of the weird things. And I work at a resort and the, the co-owner of the resort is, is Joan Stanford and she's an art therapist. So I've been able to, in my work with her and just in terms of how, what we do at the wellness center that I direct, um, bring in creativity, um, as a way to say that, that this is as a crucial part of health and happiness as anything else, um, including food and everything else. And, and definitely in my work with parents and families now to, to have, to teach parents how to to make little moments of time, but anyway, but to value creativity as a way to to work on their own lives and to sort of direct the 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 direction of their change and also the speed of their change. Um, and so I think it's a really interesting, maybe an interesting place to start. What do you think? Sure, I've, I'm all about creativity, and <laughs> so it's always a wonderful place to start. Um, I want to add that in addition to being a writer and filmmaker, I, al I also have been a movement educator teaching a work called Continuum, which is a fluid-based uh, fluid movement, a biological exploration into who we are as humans. Um, I've been teaching that for over 30 years, and it really, that somatic approach really informs 
all of my thinking and certainly my creativity. And so, you know, one of the things that I want to say about creativity, especially in terms of change um, and having creative approaches to change is, is bringing in that spirit of playfulness and the spirit of, of um, really enjoying the unexpected and making a lot of the unexpected. You know, when we are facing change, um, we're always in the unknown. And so to take a playful approach is, um, you know, carries a lot. And, but in relationship to that is also a sense of safety, right? It, we can't really be creative until we feel safe. So we can't really lift up until we have a solid sense of ground. Um, and so in a way, our creativity suffers when we are so occupied with our survival circuits and or um, our survivor circuits are assaulted. And I'm thinking, you know, tying back to um, your discussion about parenting and so many parents are overwhelmed um, with the day-to-day management of, of what goes on in life. And so it's difficult to have a spirit of creativity when you're stuck in those, um, in those circuits, right? Well, yeah. And I would even add to that, which is kind of an interesting idea. I mean, I think, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just agree fully with you. Just this idea of having firm ground, um, from which to, to launch creativity. And yet, this fear of the, the unknown and this feeling of there's a almost in some ways a built-in feeling of insecurity that comes sometimes with creation itself. Certainly in the parenting realm, when you have a kid, you know, you have your first child, if that ain't uncharted territory, nothing is. Uh, and so, and, and even with, you know, I used to be a full-time um, musician and singer songwriter and, you know, you, you, there's a definite feeling of not being ground. You put something into the world. You don't have any idea how it's going to be taken. You don't. You have all of a sudden the the ideas of good and bad and judgment is, is and worth, and all these things occur. And the better we can we can train ourselves to be okay and familiar and comfortable with these things. And I I would echo what you said is to somehow build a, a feeling of of joy and and playfulness around us. Then all of a sudden the pressure comes off. But it's interesting that. You need security in a way, security and groundedness to create, and yet creating sometimes creates a situation of being feeling ungrounded, and that's such a weird thing to kind of negotiate day to day. Right. So you know, this is why um, so many people um, use a practice, right? Whatever practice it is, whether it's a meditation practice, whether it's an exercise practice, whether it's a breathing practice or a yoga practice or a dance practice, or in my case, a continuum practice where, you know, where we practice finding ourselves, contacting ourselves in some way on a daily basis, which, which builds a lot of store for those times and those days when we really are out of control or we can't Mm -hmm. control or we can't know, but there's something I can rely on, right? I can rely on my breath or I can rely on you know, I've done this before, or I can rely on um, certain pathways. Like as a musician, right? You you uh, you train. You know your you know your scales. You know your instrument. You know that even if so, that's your ground, right? Your familiarity with your instrument is your ground, and so knowing that instrument means that you can now improvise and play. Or knowing your instrument so well, if something happens to your instrument, you know you've internalized that instrument so well that you could 
play something else or you could sing it or you could bring the music forward in another form, right? Right. Um, and what's so interesting about that is, I mean, this, if you think about just the idea of confidence um, wraps up to this, obviously, as a health coach, uh, you know, a small steps coach with the work that I do, um, I always tell people I'm not, I don't, I actually don't transform people into new people. I, I help them become who I believe they already are. It's a, kind of a, I look at it as more of an emergence uh, process than it is changing. And I think, you know, it's, some of that is just a mindset issue so that they're not, again, freaked out by what, what am I going to, who am I going to be? I think they know who they're going to be already. And it's just a matter of how much they've been living in line with that person or not and helping it, you know, tip the scales in, in their favorable direction. But I, what I refer to it is more of like a, I call it building an arsenal of experience. And so the more, you know, when I, I run, not, I'm not a good runner at all, but I've run some ultra marathons. Well, the first ultra marathon I ever ran was a, um, a 50 miler. And when I showed up to the line, the longest I had ever run was 31 miles. So I was, that day was going to be running 19 more miles than I had ever run in my life. Now, if that's not, if that's not uncharted territory, what is right. Mm -hmm. But, but what I had was the training. What I had was a level of confidence to say, even though I, this is absolutely the unknown, I can at least draw upon certain things to say, I have a, I've, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, but at least I've sort of upped the percentage of it being okay. And I think how that feeds into our day-to-day -day lives in terms of like just being a musician, putting work out and, and, you know, not being super successful and failing and having bad shows and good shows, um, being in the just total discomfort of mile 40 of an ultra marathon. I draw on those things when I'm entering now today at almost age 50, drawing, you know, entering into things that are uncharted territory, they're not as stressful because I go like, well, I've done this other thing, you know, like how, how bad can this be? And that's kind of like in your book, you, you know, like the people that I think you quoted in your book, like the people who are most comfortable with change, the people who are most adaptable succeed in general. And that's because they're sort of used to the idea that not the whole world isn't going to fall just because they have something a little bit bad happen to them. Right. And, you know, the idea, the, the real understanding that life is changing moment to moment and that it's all changing all the time anyway. You know, sometimes when I'm in an uncomfortable change or I'm in a change I don't really want or like and, you know, I'll just go, you know, it was going to change anyway. Everything changes every moment. And so if we bring it back to parenting where, you know, you're always on your edge and just just, you know, just when you've like feel like, OK, I understand this phase of my child's life and um, I know what to do here. We're getting a good rhythm going. It changes because they change. Right. I mean, there's That's nothing right. that puts put change more in front of you than raising children because they are rapidly changing all of the time. And, and as you say, you know, in your book, it's really about us as parents to, you know, the work of parenting is really with the parent. <laughs> right. And it's like when you're, you know, say when they tell you dog training, it's like it's about you. <laughs> Yeah, the dog will follow. Right. Right. Well, because like if you if you try to manage and I find this a lot in my own practice, the people who expend the most energy trying to control the th change, trying mm -hmm. to minimize change, the people who try in, as parents, let's say, to try to to try to put their children into a, a, a definable category or box yeah. are going to lose because, like you said, 
kids are individuals. You can try the same parent, same exact parenting technique on two different kids and get completely different outcomes, which leads me to believe, and the reason why I wrote the book, which was this is about a parent being strong enough and healthy enough in themselves so they can deal with the the variation with children. I mean, I have three, I have twins and they couldn't be more different, you know? So it's not like I have one response that's gonna work for all across all boards. I gotta be adaptable enough to change my tact given the child that I'm dealing with at any particular moment. And I think we can easily extrapolate that for ourselves individually, that given our lives are gonna change, the more adaptable and able we are to change our tact, the, the better we succeed long-term. Absolutely. You know, we need we need lots of flexibility and adaptability. I feel like that is the single skill um, that uh, equips us to deal with life is our ability to be adaptable, flexible. And I would also add our ability to give and receive love. But that's 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 the larger arching thing. But it's really about um, about being able to be adaptable and recognize um how we can uh, participate with change, coax change, um, engage change. I don't, you know, control change, can't control change. But sometimes, you know, like you say, we try very hard to keep things going in the same way and keep a consistency. And so it's an interesting thing because, you know, one of the things that, that I think that children need, that families need, is a certain consistency, a trust, a rhythm that they can rely on. And so that is that ground that I'm speaking of in, in terms of family. It's like, you know, uh, kids really like to, especially younger kids, you know, this is our bath time. The bath time moves to bedtime and bedtime includes story time. And story time includes, you know, whatever exchange you have with the child to, you know, transition them into sleep. And so they, they rely on these consistencies. We rely on these consistencies and yet something's always coming up, right? Well, yeah, and also doesn't that rely completely upon the parents having their act together, you know? And I think, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Like we were very routine, my wife and I, And it, but there is, and I'll, I'm gonna throw this back to you because it's almost like, and I'm not a child psychologist, but it, just as a parent of three and just in the work that I did in researching my own book, there's a certain level of transition from which having this sort of, I remember reading like uh Dr. Sears, like the Sears, the co-parenting book, we, 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 we did follow that when, when our kids were, were young in terms of that. And, and the philosophy of that, which I agree with, which is basically what you said too, which is creating a feeling of security at home with the children has the maybe kind of um, a little bit unexpected benefit is that they're a little more adventurous in the world. Like they have that anchor that you were talking about. And that and I think, again, but that's so dependent on us as individuals having this strength and and having our act together to be able to provide a house that has a uh, minimal chaos but like you said there's always going to be chaos but can we minimize it in a way that our children feel that sort of grounding foundation kind of deal and then again i'm going to extrapolate it right back out for just adults on an individual level and we create our lives and do the fixing of our lives so that we too have that strong ground that you talked about from which we can then create and then maybe it's a way to maybe adulthood is simply becoming um, not needing a parent anymore, but having the ability to create our own foundation. And to the extent that we do that, we succeed. And because clearly there's adults who are just train wrecks, you know, and, and don't have any kind of good, strong basis. And then therefore there may be, they may be stilted creatively and certainly in the relationship realm. Um, 
I'd love to hear what your thoughts on that, but I'm gonna ask you one more question, which is, do you think our ability to adapt and how you said like, that's the number one thing that allows us to be successful. How do you think that plays into our natural wiring? Is that something that in nature also was, was key to our survival? Wow, these are big questions. I know. Um, these are big questions, but you know the work that I um, that I teach called Continuum is really based on the understanding of the movement of water and the movement of fluids and the movement of fluids within us. You know, we are primarily made of fluids. Seventy-five percent. You know, depending upon how how you age, we tend to lose fluid as we age, but it is the fluids that are the agent of change. And if we can think about water, how we align with water, we are, you know, everything in our body is undulating. Everything, our organs, our circulatory system, it's all fluid and undulating. So yeah, we are completely equipped <laughs> to be adaptable and fluid and shape-shifting and um, resonant and expansive. And you know, it is the culture, it is our thoughts, it is our beliefs, it is our habits um, that start to box us in or bring us in and make us less and less adaptable or less and less open to change. Um, you know, given that we also, you know, uh, when we're on the savanna and we have to, you know, hunt for our food and look out for predators, you know, there are also all of those circuits that we're paying attention to about what's, you know, what can I eat and what's going to eat me, right? But most of us live lives in the modern world where we're not going to be eaten, right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe symbolically eaten, you know, maybe our boss, you know, creates that kind of or a job or our work or all these threats that we internalize um, give us the same uh, somatic responses. You know, we're living in a constant, people are living in a constant fear and anxiety state of these invisible predators or these dangers that we can't see. And it really does inhibit our ability to, um, to, naturally um, make the necessary adaptations or changes that, that are available to us to make. Um, so yeah, I think it's totally within our nature to be able to make change and to make fluid change. And fortunately, or, and little children understand this, you know, babies, I was just hanging out with a three-week-old baby yesterday and she's all liquid I and mean, she's all fluid. It's all fluid, you know, and, and, and um, children, you know, as they travel in their imagination and as they explore and understand what their bodies are, their fingers, their toes, are living in a very fluid world. And, you know, as adults, we then have to become, we need to be trained again to, um, to have that same kind of adaptability and as you seem to be uh, promoting so well, you know, an interest in our own health, <laughs> just an interest in it, you know, and then guiding people towards living healthier, more centered lives. And certainly as then it extends to our children and what we're teaching them. I love um, the line in your book that you say, um, your home becomes the de facto habit builder. It's like, however we are, we're going to pass it on to our children. You know, whatever our coping skills are, that's what our children are going to learn first. That's right. And I, I actually think it's, this is all like really, it's such a fascinating thing. I, 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 I'm constantly thinking and trying to figure out the answer. I don't necessarily have it. 
But what about the modern world? And maybe it's technology. But what about the modern world even let, leads us to believe that we can control more than we can control? It seems to me, and I've never lived in nature in terms of just free-for-all back. I don't even know if that's possible now knowing what I know because obviously there'd be comparisons to why isn't there a round table pizza out here, you know, whatever. But <laughs> if, you're, if you're walking around um, you know, walking around nature and you are, like you said, if you're, you're still on the food chain. So there's, it's like, you're constantly, you're almost, um, nature demands a certain presence an awareness. We can't sit and meditate on the ground with our eyes closed because we'll be killed. Like we're kind of doing the things of living, um, in, in nature. And yet now with technology in the modern world, we, we can, we can do, you know, we've, removed ourselves from the food chain. We don't even have to eat healthy. It's very easy to not eat. It's easier actually to not eat healthy, all these kinds of things. Um, like you said, like we don't have the stress of, of direct life threatening, but we certainly have more stress on our bodies and minds than we've ever had before. Certainly more than animals do in nature in terms of just day to day, the stuff of day to day that makes us, uh, unable to, to perform well and, and to actually be creative. Um, but what about the modern world actually leads us to believe that we can somehow cheat this idea that that we need to be adaptable, we need to maintain our adaptability, we need to be strong in body and mind. That that's where my diet comes in. It has nothing to do with a uh, scale weight. It has to do with functionality and success in terms of our ability to to survive the level of stress that we're under, or not to try to make that stress go away. Well, you know, what is it about us that makes us want to control our environment and, con and think that we can control everything? It's pretty silly um, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and, you know, the way that we have more and more technology and rely on more and more technology um, gives us more of the illusion that we are controlling things or that we're actually in communication with one another. You know, we're in a certain kind of communication with each other. You know, and I and I really appreciate how email and text allows me to be in touch with lots of people and, you know, far off places in real time or not real time. But is that really communication? You know, is that real communication? And I think you're you know, you're making that point in your book also about you know the ways in which families spend time together. Um, but wh why do we think we can control everything? Because we're just silly. We're just being silly humans. <laughs> You know, and um, because we don't and we can't and then we are shocked when we see that we can't control it. You know, people say to me, I'm in a really big change. It's like, well, yeah, of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> We're always in a really big change. It's just about how you view that change and how you are able to work with that change. And, you know, if we want to talk about technology, you know, the benefits of technology are what I said, but some of the downside of technology is that people don't move their bodies. Right. You know, we, I was on the airplane the other day. I looked over a girl, young girl, adolescent girl was looking at her iPad and her neck was so bent forward. Right. And this is becoming a posture of our culture. And, you know, you're cutting off blood flow, you're, you're creating all kinds of, you know, muscle problems in your back and, and um, it's affecting your brain just from the way that we're sitting. I mean, between the heavy backpacks that kids carry to school and oh, yeah. that forward head thing from looking down at their phones.
is creating a very, I mean, we're looking at a lot of uh, muscular skeletal health health problems, as well as many others, right? And so, you know, one of some of how uh, we were adapted to nature, you know, early on is, you know, you say, okay, so we wouldn't close our eyes and sit in the middle of the woods if, you know, we had to be looking out for predators, but our senses were, were tuned. That's right. They were keen. And we lived in movement. And so our movement was also our guide about yeah. how we received information and how we engage with the environment. Right now, people aren't moving. They spend hours and hours and hours and hours in a chair let alone in front of the screens. And it really is affecting our health, how we view ourselves, our, our moods, our emotions. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. What I tell people it's we're the only species that actually exercises because every wild animal just moves as part of their lives. And right. Yeah. And we're the only ones that go, you know, from nine to nine 30, I'm going to run on a treadmill and then I'm going to sit and do nothing for eight hours in front of a computer screen. And it's, it's a very, uh, but then again, we're the only ones, wild animals, that have to choose to have to actually make a, a, a conscious choice to eat well. Um, in nature, you'd eat the food you found. And now we have mm-hmm. to bring in the extra stress of having to deliberate and feel the pressure or not or or the side effects of not eating well and all these kinds of complicated things occur. And yet I think your pre- premise is extremely well taken, which is we either can fight change or we can invite it. And I think when we invite it, we take the power uh, that we deserve and need to succeed. And when we fight it, we are fighting an inevitability that we're going to lose. So we're expending all the energy to deal with the change and all the energy to try to avoid the change. And that's just a losing proposition. Whereas if we just get comfortable with it's going to happen, adaptability is a, is a, nece- a necessity of survival. And the better I can get at it, the better I'm going to do, then we can actually free up all that energy we tried to use and utilize to to control something we can't control. That's a very complicated kind of existence. And yet, if you kind of wrap your head around it, you you do so much better so fast because you just sort of go like, OK, it's coming. Let me just let me just figure out how to do the best I can. And I think you and I are both on the same page clearly about that. And, and all I did was sort of extrapolate that kind of premise and just foist it into the parenting realm and say, you know, before you adopt a certain kind of parenting technique, that can be whatever it is. That's not my book at all. You got to be the parent who can actually implement the parenting technique. And that's a question that isn't, isn't being answered um, or at least being asked by parents of like, am I ready? Can I do this parenting technique or can I follow this diet of healthy eating? Or have I not gotten to the point where I even want to accept changing my diet for the better? I've got to wrap my head around that before I do, you know, act one on the diet front. You know, these are bigger questions than just joining a 21 day diet or learning how to talk to your teenager about homework. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, some of the ideas that, well, I liked very, a lot of the ideas in your book, but some of them that really spoke to me was one, you know, about small steps, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, also uh, correlates to proceed incrementally, which is I one of that. the seven principles that That's I talk right. about. So we're both confirming that that is the way that change moves. It moves incrementally. Or the way to affect change is to take small steps because, you know, breaking down larger goals into smaller, inactable steps, right? 
And then I also really like your MOTT most of the time. It was so uh, compassionate, really, the idea that most of the time I am, you know, a really together person. I, you know, I have strong values and, and, and succeed in what I do, but occasionally I step off track. Right. You know, and... And what do I do? What are the mechanisms that I have to bring myself back in line, you know, when I do step off track and approaching things with small steps helps me look at and assess where I maybe I've gone off course and then I can come back before I've gone way down the road. Yeah, and it changes your focus on uh, instead of defining yourself by a one-off, you define yourself like you just did, which is I generally have this in order. I generally take care of myself well. I generally have principles. And and if I stray once in a while, that's not actually what defines me. I'm defined by what I do most of the time. And I think that we oftentimes define ourselves by things that we necessarily don't do most of the time, or at least value. Um, I think we should define ourselves by what we value first and foremost, and then just get better about doing acting in those ways you know, more often than not, I think what what you cued into big time in your book is this feeling by most people in the modern world of simple overwhelm. And and you can know all the best practices of, of any field, meditation, yoga, diet, exercise, creativity, all. But if you're overwhelmed because of what you're doing today, which most of us are, because there's a lot that we're dealing with and fear and news and all the crazy stuff, if you're overwhelmed, then how do you get out of that? You don't get out of that by trying a massive undertaking that you're just going to fail at because it's taking on way too much and you're already you're starting from a place of overwhelm. Whereas if you, you know, at like advocating you do in your book, which is begin the process of incremental, begin the process period of action, then you are then building what we talked about, which is like that good foundation of action, the good foundation of experience and confidence and all these kinds of things. And then you're setting in motion change that you are not trying trying to control in terms of stopping change, but you are managing the change in a way that you weren't before. And and guess what? You feel less overwhelmed almost immediately. Yes, and aligning with the change. You know, what I say is you recognize where is this change headed (laughs) and you align with that change, you know, as best you can, like as if you were, you know, you had a canoe on the water and you're reading the current and you're going along with the current as best you can. You know, and certainly... So many parents, especially because it's kind of new territory, right? You know, young parents, it's new territory, or like you say, with every child, it's different. And so we're, we're constantly on the edge of learning as parents. And so many of us have such judgments about, am I doing this right? Am I doing this well? You know, and, and this idea that as a baseline, you are. And maybe you didn't, you know, handle this evening as best you could or this period of time as best you could. But to under just to understand that, I think it's so forgiving. You know, we're trying as we're trying the best we can. I believe I believe that most people are trying the best they can. I believe that too. I, I and, absolutely believe that. And even when I don't agree with somebody, even when I don't agree with their actions or their philosophies or their politics, I do understand that within their own belief system, they believe that they are doing the best they can. And I also think that we are 
most, if not all of us, looking to live the best lives that we can. And I think it's important, that might sound trite, but I think when you start with this idea that you that people are looking to be happy and look and looking to take care of their themselves and their families, and it, I, maybe I disagree with the way that they're taking care of themselves, um, but, but the ethic is there. Uh, you know, that is that we have people we love, we want to care and protect them. And if we sometimes ref- come back to these very base level, again, in nature, things that we would be looking out for, survival and, and, and fun and joy and family, then I think we align way more than we do uh, not. And I think that's a, g- a really good place to start in, in just in terms of our own behavior. Right. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, what makes a good parent or what makes a good family life and how do we manage all of the complex details of work and relationships and children and all of the oh my gosh, all the things that they have to get set up for in terms of health and activities and school and college and all of these things that each one of them can become very overwhelming. It's like, how do we find our way through these things? You know, I think it has to do with priorities and values. And that, you know, you really do need to can, you know, determine what are your values as a parent and, you know, with your with your co-parent, or I've been a single parent for a number of years, um, you know, what, what are the values and what are the priorities and recognizing that sometimes when something large comes up in the family, you know, whether it's, um, you know, something as simple as my daughter's in a play and so now there's so much, you know, rehearsal time or that, you know, somebody in the family gets sick or someone's having a challenge, you know, that, that, that the priorities will shift for a time. They have to shift, but that whatever the values are, you know, spending time together, having good communication. You know, you were talking about using an example in your book of, you know, reading to your children. If that's the value, then you can keep returning to that value every time the scene shifts, every time the schedule shifts, you return to that value and you figure out, okay, so now how do we still accommodate that value in a shifting scene? So it's not about the schedule runs your life. It's that the priority and the value runs your life and it changes from day to day or time to time. But what doesn't change is the priority and the value. Right. And where you and I think both see eye to eye definitely is that is that if your schedule changes in such a way, you may not have the 30 minutes to read to your child like you do most days, maybe because of a schedule change, you only read to your child for one minute. Um, but it's something and it is the routine and it is the behavior. And and again, if that's adaptability, that's saying, well, my day the today isn't going to afford me the hour of exercise that I usually do, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to exercise at all. It's a value. So maybe I'm going to go for a three minute walk or do some squats in my living room. And that's going to be my exercise just today because I'm adaptable enough to say, if my schedule changes, I'm not going to put my, you know, throw myself under the bus and say, well, forget it. Then I'm going to do what I can. That's in line with my values, even if it's in smaller amounts on a, on a, on a given day. And that goes for virtually every area that I work with people in, including food. 
which is that we can't eat the same, you know, I travel a lot, so I'm not going to eat the same exact diet every day. I wouldn't do that in nature. I don't do that in the modern world, but I do value healthy eating most of the time. And so if I can, I'm going to eat healthy. Sometimes I eat French fries, um, but that's not my most of the time, you know? And so it's just, it's again, that adaptability, I think overall lowers our stress in a way that allows us to live really, really well. Right. And then where the creativity comes to play is sometimes in stacking functions, as they say in the permaculture world, right? You know, doing something inside of something else or something that's going to serve two purposes. So while I'm making dinner in the kitchen for my family, I can put some music on. I can dance around. I can make I can make preparing dinner into a dance. So good. And so now I'm exercising a little bit and I'm making dinner and I'm also having fun, right? So looking for the ways in which, again, not looking at time as so linear or as the things that must get done in a day is so linear as much as saying, okay, well, how can, how can we uh, bring story time in even if there's not time to, to, to read a story? What can we do? Can we, you know... Uh, while you're brushing your teeth, can we like recall a story that we've that we've read before? Can we, um, you know, maybe the kid pulls out a book and is reading to you while you're making dinner or doing something that keeps the value and keeps the rhythm going as best as possible, even though the actual items might be moving around. Yeah. I call in the book, I call it marrying steps, which is just, you know, you marry, you, you're, you're, you're going to go do your, 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 uh, teeth brushing no matter what. So you do a few squats while you're brushing your teeth, uh, you know, and you can, and you sort of nail both those things down at the same time. So it's all the same kinds of ideas, you know, and I think, I think they work extremely well when people realize that they, they do work. And even if they do minimal amounts, it, it does make a difference, um, cause it trains you. Uh, to be adaptable and it trains you to take care of yourself no matter what external things uh, are happening in your life. And you, it trains you to, to not lose yourself in the mix, to not give up your values just because you perceive the world as you know, not allowing you to exercise anymore because of a commute. Um, you sort of take the power back on that. And I think that's, that's such a cool thing. It is. And I wanted to bring up something that I feel like you and I are both talking about which is the idea that when things get overwhelming or when it's too much, that the best thing to do is slow down. Mm -hmm. Slow down to speed up or slow down to get ahead or to resume. That it seems so counterintuitive to think that way, but that really when, when my schedule gets so full, I start to look at what can I pull out? Yeah. You know, what can I... What can I reduce? And again, going back to what, what's the priority, what has to stay, but what can go? Because it's not about just doing more and more and more. And certainly, again, what we're trying to teach our children is, you know, how to function healthily. And, um, and they have young systems, you know, they're not, they're not equipped to manage all of this overwhelm, nor should they, you know, so many high school kids are just burning out from all of the work and the, and the anxiety about getting into college, you know, just with in this process, not long ago with my daughter, it's kind of insane. Yeah. 
And so instead of adding on more, how do you tell your clients, how do you work with people in helping them slow down? Well, I mean, I develop with a, what I call a steps list. I'm mean, actually get deep into my, my approach on that and say, you know, it's, it's minimum, it's, it's decreasing certain steps, um, to avoid that overwhelm. Um, the other thing I would add, and that's just a, the intricacy of that process. But the other thing I would add is that, is that, um, I can't remember what his name is. I think his name is Stephen Covey or Covey. He was a, like a man, he wrote a book on management. Um, yeah, but one sure. of his things, mm-hmm. yeah, one of his things that he said was sharpen the stone and what the, what the, the metaphor was, he says, you know, you're cutting wood and you got all this wood to cut and you got to keep cutting wood. Well, eventually your axe gets dull. And what most people do is they just go, I got this wood. I got this wood. I got to cut this wood. So they just keep cutting the wood. But if you stop and sharpen the axe, uh, you can actually come back to it and be more efficient. The thing is we get overwhelmed by how much we have to do. And yet we don't stop sometimes and fix the things in our lives that would enable us to get those things done. And then some, we don't, take time to sharpen the ax. We just focus on how much we have to do and just, and that's how it goes. And so part of it is in, with my own practices, working with people in seemingly unrelated ways, which is like organizing your house for crying out loud. Um, if you're trying to sort of organize your life and organize your health, um, it's sometimes it starts with just your environment, how, fixing those things that seem to be unrelated to weight loss. And yet I can connect those dots in about three, three seconds. And so it's sort of just this organizational uh, idea and, and, and a way to avoid overwhelm. And then in the particular of a steps list, it's simply to say, if you have a ton to do, you may, ha- you may need to do less uh, exercise on a given day to, to devote more time to a certain you know, deadline that you have at work or something like that. But that doesn't mean an overall change in habit. It just means a quick adjustment on, that, on one given day. And that's been really effective. Yeah, and to forgive yourself when your house is not as tidy as it's going to be, you know, or, you know, when certain things don't get done as thoroughly as you might ideally want them to get done. And again, because that's not the priority of the moment. If the priority of the moment is to help your child with their homework, you can't be in three places at once. And so you also have to be very forgiving of yourself about, you know, when things don't, uh, when everything isn't at the, at the standard that you might ideally like it to be, right? And, and understand like it rarely is ever, if ever is going to be. It's simply yeah. like, are, like you said, are we doing the best we can? Are we, are we taking steps each day to live the best we can? And if we are, that's it, you know, and you just keep doing that and you do it and you get better at it over time and you get more efficient over time and you, and you get less beating up yourself because you had one off day or your house is a little bit dirty. That's, you know, that's not a value that people have. They have a value of, of whatever they have, but a one off is not going to change that value. It's just getting back on track. Yeah. So good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we, uh, should we wrap? We got that time went very fast. Yes, I know. And I, and I think if we, you know, just took a pause, we could probably go for another, (laughs) go for another round, but I think, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just really been a pleasure talking with you and I feel like you have so much to offer, um, through your books and through all of the um, strategies that you provide for people about how to, um, how to value themselves really, right? You know, how yeah. to make their health uh, be a priority and 
and all of the wonderful aspects of life that come off of that. So yeah. thank you so much. Well, thank you back at you. And I'm glad we connected because it's always nice to talk to somebody who sort of, you can have this level of conversation and it's very cool. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And I hope we cross paths at some point. Absolutely. I'm Sharon Weil. And my book is Changeability, How Artists, Activists, and Awakeners Navigate Change. I'm Sid Garza-Hillman. I'm the author of Approaching the Natural Health Manifesto and Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family.